Welcome back to Body Talk with Bex. This week I get to interview Paul Krenza. He is a stand-up comedian and freelance writer on lots of different BBC shows. And he was born with bladder extrophy. And I was really excited for this episode because I've never gotten to speak with a male who has bladder extrophy and hear what types of struggles they go through that are different than females. So I'm just gonna go ahead and jump right in here. So I've been really looking forward to talking to you for a couple of reasons. One is that I have, haven't yet heard from a male perspective for bladder extrophy. Actually, I just realized my microphone's like way far oh. away. Oh, that's, there you go. That's quality. Is that that is. That's great. That okay. sounds like you're there. Great. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's fine. So yeah, I haven't heard any mm. male perspectives on the bladder extrophy yet and we have such different anatomy. I'm sure there's so many different things that for you, I didn't have to deal with and vice versa. And then secondly, I am really interested also in hearing just because the experience in different countries, I Mm -hmm. just, you know, different treatment plans. And, you know, I was talking to the girl in Scotland and hers was so different from what we were doing here. Just within terms of like availability, even of, you know, pharmaceuticals and things like that so mm. yeah of course yeah yeah i heard i heard kirstine's episode is a great listen so good on you for, for getting the stuff out there it's a great yeah. thing to do yeah i was really great chatting with her i liked chatting with her a lot yeah so those are my my two main reasons why i was really excited to talk to you and then i've noticed a lot of parents of bladder extrophy patients kind of around my age don't know that their kid is going to have bladder extrophy mm. Was it the same for yours? Yeah. So with my um, my parents, I was born in the late 1970s. My parents didn't have a clue this was going to happen. Surprise. And out I came, I, I guess, essentially clutching my bladder, which is not ideal. But And I was born in, in Cornwall in the UK, which is like the far southwest end, which is quite rural. Uh, so it's all sort of farmland and, you know, very narrow country lanes and things. So I was sort of taken straight to up to London in, in I think it was in, in an ambulance for a six hour drive or something wow. to, to where they thought someone could could help properly. But yeah, it was a surprise back then. And I guess for some many people, it, it still is certainly. Wow. So they didn't have any idea at all that anything would be wrong because sometimes they know mm. like something's not quite they're not sure what it is, but something's mm. not going to be right. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, I mean, it's it's funny because my, my parents, you know, I've got a good relationship with them. We talk a lot, you know, a couple of times a week, but they don't generally like to talk much about all of this stuff. And I think it's something that they probably, you know, still are... They don't like to look back, I think, in too, in too many ways. And I know that they went through a lot. And they're always very, they're very laughy and jokey, my parents, you know. But I just, I know, I do, I know and I notice that whenever we, we sort of 
go talk about these sort of days uh you know because I, I had i think a good couple of hundred operations before the age of five i had times i was in hospital for you know a couple of months on end up at great ormond street hospital in london for that time we were living not in cornwall anymore but just outside london but maybe a couple of hours from london so i was missing school and uh, they would take it in shifts to come and stay with me in the ward and all that sort of thing so it was a big ask you know of big ask you know your, your parents so you they, they'll do these things but it was it must have had a huge impact on them but we we haven't you know we don't talk about it loads because i i just know that it's one something they went through at the time and and i kind of always feel like they're the ones who kind of suffered i think because i have few memories of it and generally my memories of hospital back then are kind of mostly kind of fun there were i still have moments of realizing that it times that particularly weren't fun or in for a long time away from school away from friends but i made friends in hospital so you know you as a child as a young child especially you you make do you know and actually it was i kind of feel like they are the ones who really went through it rather than me in that sense yeah i mean i can't even imagine watching your kid go through something like Mm. that and you just you know you want to make it better for them (laughs) It's a yeah, lot of process. Yeah, and especially because, like, you know, nowadays we have Facebook and the internet and things like that. To the, the world shrinks. You have communities. You could get a bit more help and support. But yeah, back then they didn't really. They didn't have any way of accessing much information apart from really those overheard conversations of other people they would meet on the wards. So I know they made friends with two or three other families who I guess were there. I don't know whether my ward was particularly a ward for bladder extrophy people or just in time you start to pick up on who who else has the same sort of problem same situation same condition but i do know yeah two or three people who were about the same age as me and we sort of we grew up together in that sense just in and out of hospital but it was that weird thing i know the community of of us at the start when we're in a lot and they sort of fixed us to, to, to whatever degree that is and then as we became older children and things and teens and stuff i think you know my mum kept in touch with a couple of other mums and things but it drifts off and you have your own lives you know and it goes on from there so i do feel like the hospital era for me was very early on i go back now every year for checkups and things but mostly it's it's one day it's in it's out again and apart from you know i self-catheterize on a daily basis well not just daily you know several times a day be odd if i just did it once a day and that was it but um yeah that apart from that that's really how it affects my my life now but i'm married i've got two kids and and i'd go about my daily business apart from having to plan toilets out about that's generally how it affects my life but yeah the, the hospital days feel like it's long and distant ago now yeah well do you want to just take us through chronologically what you can remember I suppose, yeah, I should have this written down, shouldn't I? Because I can remember very little, but I had... So I'm 43 now. I hesitate because I never remember. I think I'm 43. I've reached that point. I don't never quite know. I'm early 40s. You stop counting uh, at a certain point. Yeah, you don't. Exactly. 21 again, you know. But uh, so I was born, like I say, in Cornwall, 1979. And I had a when I was five. And I had various long word based conditions before that bilateral inguinal hernias 
and things that make sense to other people that don't make full sense to me. So it was all of those sorts of things, uh, early days, you know. But I was in and out of hospital quite a lot. I think I had a couple of hundred operations back then. And yeah, then really it was just about school and dealing with that in school. I had it so my bladder was born, you know, it's extrophy greek is it or latin trophy i think it's greek isn't it out of body out of body experience we think of the of the soul and things like that as out of body but the bladder much less glamorous but it was born on the outside and i had an indwelling catheter for i think the first eight years of my life something like that changed every month i guess by my mum and then when i was about eight I remember she sat me down and she said, by the way, that's now going and you're going to now self-catheterize now and you need to learn how to self-catheterize. And I thought, what? No, no, no. You resist, <laughs> you know, largely just because change, you know, the, the change is, is not, not a nice thing. And I had to, you have to move forward, didn't you? So I had to learn how to self-catheterize. And then it was about... Then the challenges of getting more about school and how you walk around with a bag, you know, that it's, it's a small little, I think I borrowed my dad's shaver bag, which invites more questions than it answers, really. Suddenly you've got to explain to your school friends, or I say friends, school bullies, enemies, why you have this bag with you, you know. And yeah, it was just a case of doing that, getting through you know i wasn't particularly sporty but i think i kind of used my bladder extrophy to to get out of sport you know i think after a while i realized the teachers didn't like to ask questions about this icky bladder based thing so i, I realized i could just get off games and sport for my entire school career well, so you know you've got to you've got to learn to work with these conditions haven't you make it work for you so that was that. And then teenage life and 20s, I suppose, early 20s. Then it's about, well, I suppose, no, actually, first of all, it's about social life. Then it's it's about either going away, I don't know, camping and stuff like that, or then pubs and socialising and parties and how that works and, like, alcohol and realised, like, you know, could I, how do I catheterise when I'm also trying to have a, a social life? And all those little tips, like, you know, you'd, you'd go to the loo, you go to the toilet, and I take up a bit longer than my friends. And after a while, you realise this is when they start to notice that you take a while longer. And I'd come back from the, the toilet in a pub, always on my phone, as if I've just had a phone call, you know, and people didn't ask questions. And then over a while, friends go, you always get phone calls when you go to the <laughs> gents' toilet. What's that all about? So it's all that stuff. And then it's sort of dating and working out how to address that and when to talk about your bladder problems. Our first date is weird. But then, like, if you leave it to the fifth date, that's also weird. So I found, like, you know, second, third date is kind of the sweet spot for that. It's all that sort of tricky. And then after the dating thing for a decade or more, I met my wife and she was a, a nurse. I didn't meet her through her being my nurse, but, but it just meant that she was, she didn't find the stuff icky, you know, and that was great. Just finding someone, because I had girlfriends who did find it icky and you think, oh, okay, it is going to be tricky. If the, it's, it's tricky if it's icky. And... But meeting, you know, my wife was great because she just understood it. Uh, even if she didn't fully understand it, she was interested enough in it to get it and didn't dismiss it, didn't dismiss life and a relationship and things because of it. Uh, and then it became about kids and can we have kids? Because that's a big question, of course, for many people. 
and we looked into IVF and ICSI and all of these medical things because I was always told it would be tricky to, to have kids. And and at the time as well, it, I mean, it depends how advanced you want to get down this road, but with, we're talking around the issue for a start anyway. I always found it rather tricky to produce much that was enabling one to have children, put it that way. So it, but just because I had operations and things like that, and a lot of pulling around and in the inside of things. So, but then actually we were we were like so lucky, but also we had to really push for medical help we sort of went we had we got a psychosexual counselor uh, on the nhs which was amazing i think the funding was withdrawn soon after so we were kind of lucky with with that but we really pushed both with my experts in london our local doctor as well on both sides of it two-pronged attack and yeah we got this psychosexual counselor they saw us for a bunch of sessions kind of just relaxed us a bit and stopped us panicking and that helped I think it's fair to say, and we now have two children, and here we are. I suppose that's it in a nutshell. I've rambled on for a long time there, but that's four—that's four and a half decades in four yeah. and a half minutes. There you are. Well, yeah, it's interesting that they had said that you would have trouble having kids because they always tell the females that we're going to have trouble conceiving. So right. I think it's interesting. Right. It's it's kind of the same for for guys as well. I guess I don't know. I don't want to. I'm not medical enough to to know whether they just don't know or just say they've been put because you know they the base. I suppose the doctors we see now. I don't know about you, but the doctor I see now has sort of inherited me and inherited the fact that my all my surgery has been done by doctors decades ago. You know, so and I guess we're all individual cases and. You know, there's not like a one size fits all answer, I suppose, to a lot of these things. So I wouldn't be surprised if doctors that we speak to now look at our files and go, well, it's going to be tricky because we don't know enough about what's happened here. But I suppose they can, I'm sure, I'm not, I'm not medical. There's probably medical people listening to this going, no, that's completely not the case. They can look at your <laughs> notes. They can realize these things and work out exactly what can or can't be done. But I do know that people with extra fee have had kids. And I know people who haven't had kids and haven't been able to have kids. I know men who've had a lot of issues in sex and things like that to try and, or just relationships, you know. So there's, there's loads of, there are a lot of hurdles, basically. And some hurdles you can get over quite easily. Some are a lot bigger and trickier. And you know whether it's social physical physiological medical urological i don't know you know it's it's we're all different in that sense and good luck to all of us but i think it's it's all there's hope there's hope in all those areas i think and it's i would always say art oh, keep pushing away if you if you want that family or that relationship or that solution to i don't know continents whatever you know sometimes you've got to keep pushing with different doctors and knock on a few doors and ask for help and reach out and find these communities on Facebook and things like that. And podcasts like this are good on you for talking about this stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I think maybe it's one of those things where maybe there's just not enough research out there on that specific element of bladder extrophy. And I think a lot of the research is really focused on how to handle when they're a kid and when they're yeah. first born. And there's not a whole lot of research that I've seen on the later years. hundred so. percent agree with that. I, I certainly found that when I was a, a child and then like an, ad, an ad, I don't know, was, I don't know what, what, when adolescence kicks in, but when I was an adolescent, I was suddenly under an adolescent doctor. And I always felt that those checkups were about the bladder and about, is that working? 
do we need to change anything there? Are there any leaks, gaps, infections, those things? Which, you know, they, they were enough challenges there. I've had infections galore. I had peritonitis twice. I've had a couple of times when it was kind of touch and go on the operating table. And, you know, some pretty severe mortal threats in that sense. But once you fix that, that I think that does have to be the primary sort of stuff. But then, the, yeah, the next level then has to be dealt with. And I think they're getting better at that, I think. I've spoken and met with some great clinical you know nurse specialists and things like that i think they're getting better but yeah i i think you're, you're right it's it's certainly not their primary uh, motive to make sure we can all sort of function as you know social marital sexual beings whatever it might be they just want to you know there's a lot more focus perhaps right i suppose on making sure that we live and our organs work but yeah it's tricky i mean that's it? pretty important too <laughs> Yeah, can, can we have it all? Is that too much to ask for the yeah. lot? Is that too much to ask? I know, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you mind kind of talking to us about all of the medical things mm, when you were simple. a kid? Yeah. So what do you want to know? <laughs> See what I can remember. All of it, whatever you can remember, all yeah. It, all of it. I, I'm trying, do you know what, as we speak, I'm trying to find, I've got a, a, a PowerPoint thing I did for a, a medical presentation and I was trying to find it and I can't find it. I've got it on my computer. So basically my medical CV, my medical backstory, which is beyond my mind, you know, and it's that odd thing of I look, reaching back into the dim and distant past and trying to remember things that I was told that hadn't, hadn't happened. Right, I found a list. I've got a list. Here we go. Right. So if this means anything to anybody, I don't know. At three months, I had bladder closure, repair of these bilateral inguinal hernias, which sounds important. Um, 18 months, repair of epispadius. Four years, bilateral osteotomies of the pelvis. Oh, that's, I think, that's when I was in for the, for the I had my legs up on, on, on the the uh you know in plaster basically for six weeks couldn't move out of bed for six weeks wow. that was the big one and i was actually i was on a tv show i've got the video clip here I've, i was on a tv show for the bbc when they were doing a day in the life of great Ormond street hospital and that's when they filmed that so it's me in like 1983 i guess doing my schoolwork in hospital and yeah just kind of there for a couple of months that was my my time there for a while you know and wow. um yeah, and then but five years, age of five years, I had cholecystoplasty, fixing the bladder, patching it all up with bits of my bowel were sort of attached. I sometimes say that it was because it's a bladder I wasn't born with technically, but it is now my bladder. I call it my stepbladder. So that kind of works. <laughs> but that was the main stuff. And then started catheterizing at the age of eight. When I was 23, that was one of the big ones. And actually, I will shout about this because I had, I was 23, it was, it was, as we call it in Britain, Boxing Day. Do you have Boxing Day in the US? It's sort of the day after Christmas, the 26th of December. I mean, it's on the calendar, but I don't think I've ever met anyone that does anything for it. No, it's just a, I mean, it used to be a Boxing Day sales, but then Amazon took over, so that's not even a thing. But, you know, it's the day after Christmas, lots of turkey sandwiches and food. And my parents went out to a neighbour's lunch thing. I was just feeling a bit like, I think I've had too much turkey. I'm going to stay here. And then while they were out, so I was 23, I was at home alone. And I, by the time they got back, I was writhing on the floor. Abs- never known agony like it. Turns out it was a rupture in the bladder. It was peritonitis. So basically the stuff in the bladder, the urine was mixing with the stuff out of the bladder, blood, and that's not a good mix. So oh my gosh. Went to hospital, they patched it up, and uh, thankfully in time. 
but I do know of this happening. It's, it's a threatening thing, you know. And if, if you if I'd left it half a day or a day, uh, they probably wouldn't have. You know, I probably wouldn't be here now. So it was a pretty massive thing. So I would I chat about that because people who have uh, bladder repair, I you know I presume that the technology is always getting better and better, and people are it, that it's more reliable than it ever was. But I guess it's a wear and tear thing, and if, if a man made fix like that is is going to have you know potentially um, after a while you know there's always i was always told be careful playing extreme sports and rugby and things like that if you get a a kick to the the belly basically you know that it's it's delicate you know and i can see that then because that's that i had that rupture there and it doesn't mean that you know you instantly got a massive problem but just be aware and ever since then if i get and you know a pain or a whatever just i got to listen to my body and realize that sometimes i've got to go to the doctors um most of the time it's a twinge and it's uh, a uti you know just an infection or something which is still nasty or you know cystitis or whatever but um i just need to listen for my body and not just ride through it take some painkillers and go to bed and think it'd be fine just just work out when it's serious you know and then act on it i guess is my tricky lesson from that but yeah Oof. That's yeah, scary. So that's that mm. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's scary, but I would say I, the hope I kind of try and give with it is I try and be positive uh, where possible. So I only want to sort of want to scare in a good way, of saying, "Look, just listen to your listen to these things if these things happen." And maybe that was a one-off and a rarity. I don't know, but I just think you know we we have spe- it's, it's also there's always that balance as well, I guess. And I've met people with with extra fee who want to forget all about it and they go i just want to live my life i don't want to be defined by my condition i want to go on and do my thing i want to ignore it completely and i fully respect that then i know other people who dwell on it a lot and every day of their life they're thinking about it and they are defined by it and i suppose i try and pick a bit of a middle path where i do want to don't be held back by it but i also make sure i want to just listen out for those twinges and aches and pains and things although i now i'm in my 40s you know aches and pains and twinges they <laughs> my knees are going you know what can i tell you that's just age but there you are. yeah so now it's defining what is just aging pains versus <laughs> <laughs> exactly i know the bladder pains now that's all right i know that one now there you are. i think we learned to detect those at a pretty early age yeah yeah i think so i think so yeah I mean, yeah. most of my my general life now in terms of the bladder stuff is it's just about the catheters and things like that. And I've sort of, the way they uh, adapt and change, you get these new ones now in little bags and things, which is feels more hygienic. I used to get a lot more UTIs and problems like that. So yeah, I kind of, I used to have all these little fixes, like I had a, a belt, which I'm still wearing now actually, with a zip in it and it's a money belt so you can store money in it but actually if you get the right ones it's the perfect size for a catheter so that was great to be able to walk around always knowing around my waist i have an emergency catheter so that's awesome that's really cool like that. it's nice like mm. your little secret pouch for all your stuff yeah exactly and actually this one because i now use the little sort of ones in little bags that are sealed and more hygienic the one in my belt i've actually not used for years now in fact i should probably get rid of it because it's probably <laughs> long past its use by date but it's always been nice little comfort blanket to just know it's there you know so just in case nice. yeah 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 how did they used to arrive then if they weren't in little individual packages well i used to have in fact I've still got some i do use here just long they're kind of in a, in, in a pouch yeah but you know it'd be a long one you know a centimeter and an inch or inch or so wide and 20 inches long or something and that would fit in the belt fine but the new ones i get now are all they're all little 
show you one here. I know this is an audio medium, but you can see and maybe you can help me defy it. But, you know, this is my new Catania. Oh, what would you call this? It's like, it looks like a little party bag at the end of wow. a child's birthday party, you know. And what's great is that they are completely sealed. So there's nothing getting in, nothing getting out. You open it up and it's all in a little protective sheath. And therefore, my fingers are not touching anything that's going in me, which is a good philosophy in life. Wow, that's really go. cool. I think we used to get the ones that were really long as well then. Mm. I haven't seen those new pouches before. Well, also, the other thing is I, I spent a good 15 years or so having this just the same catheter all the time, never thinking there was a choice. You know, we don't get catheter shops on the high street, um, <laughs> but more's the pity. And then one day when my catheter company got in touch and said, oh, by the way, we're discontinuing that catheter, I just thought, what, what, what? My, my life's over. How, how can you, that's, this is my cat. It's the only cat. I didn't even know there was an option to have a different one. And they went, oh yeah, there, there are other ones you can choose from. We'll send you a, a selection of our other ranges. I'm like, you have other ranges? I had no idea. <laughs> um, so suddenly I was auditioning catheters and, and only last week's uh, catheter company sent me one of their new top of the range whiz catheters that go faster stripes and, you know, uh, all this sort of stuff. So you know, it's worth knowing there are other options out there. Whether or not you have access to it, of course, depends on your healthcare system and all of these other factors. But they are out there somewhere, these options and choices and things. That's really neat. That's definitely different from here. I don't know if they have options here. It was just whatever the insurance company would send us. Yeah. They decided for you, this is what you need. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. In fact, the new ones that I, I got, the one I just showed you there, for example, when I first had it, I thought, cool, that looks... Well, well, my first thought was that looks expensive. And, and of course, I'm very lucky that it, here in, in Britain, we got, well, you know, we have the NHS, whether that's lucky or not, depends on your view of it. But it's all... You know, I can order them. And as long as they've got a deal with the NHS it doesn't make any difference. And so I remember I first said to my GP, like, well, would, would you rather I go with this one or that one? You know, I don't want you to feel that I'm going for the executive, uh, you know, the really fancy one when actually you think, oh, that other one was fine. And they're like, have whatever. It costs the same to us. It doesn't make any difference. So it's kind of a level playing field in that sense. But that's here and that's for now i mean who knows five years time if we'll even have an nhs like we currently know i won't get political but anyway that's um, <laughs> you, know, you never know do you so you mentioned you used to live in cornwall did they move closer to the hospital because of your your bladder extrophy or was there other reasons that brought you well no i, I not that i know of my my dad's work moved but i do think there was an underlying factor like you know they were having to drive six hours to the hospital and especially you know now i have it once a year but back then it was yeah it was a lot more regular you know it's a few times a year my dad was from south london so we i know they used to when we used to live in cornwall my parents would would stay at my my grandparents house in london and things like that just to kind of make it all work but then my brother my you know he's four years younger than me I, i'm well aware there's issues there in terms of him feeling like the forgotten sibling and that still is you know that rumbles on to this day i think that i kind of i have sibling guilt that he was sort of left alone down in cornwall with not alone but with his cornish grandparents while my parents took me up to london to stay with my london-based grandparents so it was a case of yeah hopping around the country i think until they until we all settled really where we are now i'm still i'm in, in guildford in surrey which is just on the outskirts of london now or just outside london so yeah settled here really and it's it's it is handy we live actually 
you know, an hour from London, but actually it's a 10-minute walk to our local hospital here. And one of the reasons I like where I currently am is, is you know, not just for that, but if the kids fall over and have an accident or something, we are. I like hospitals. I like being near a hospital, you know, so that's a good thing to be. You don't have, what is it called, like anxiety around hospitals and doctors? I like them. I like them. I think generally speaking, you know, almost all of them are there to do good things. The ones who aren't, you know, they'll be found out. But no, I like, I like, I don't have, no, I don't have, I've been in, I've had so many operations. I always feel like whenever I go into hospital for an operation or anesthetic or anything, I always feel like I have to say like, don't worry, you don't have to do the whole routine with me about, I'm fine, you know, with all this stuff. Probably there's a bit of me still going, feeling a little bit dodgy about it. But no, I generally... Generally, going yeah, this is a positive thing because it's it's helping us out, which is why you know in the in the pandemic and all that sort of thing, suddenly the hospital not being uh, necessarily a safe place to go to or being overwhelmed was sort of alien to me. That was odd because that's always the sanctuary, that's the place you can go, and suddenly to find like, oh no, you don't want to come here. That's no, what's that, that was weird. So uh, yeah, that's my hospital philosophy anyway. Yeah, I could see how that would be weird with that change. Was there any difference in availability of your catheter supplies during the pandemic? No. Well, I think briefly there was a couple of things like, you know, just order a bit sooner if you need to, that sort of thing. But that was okay. I did actually, I I was chatting with someone who works for a catheter company. I won't won't say which one in case I don't think I'm divulging anything I shouldn't. But this is about three months ago probably and i did say to them like is there are there any issues i should be knowing about in terms of where you get your catheters from in terms of like international you know shipping and that sort of stuff thinking about russia and ukraine let alone brexit as well because you know we've currently got queues of lorries at the border and all you know it's not as easy as it was to get things across the world maybe and yeah this this chap who works for this catheter company was sort of saying oh no it's all it's all fine but we they said we have we get we get our supplies from a few different countries and they're looking into options and i think about okay well if if we can't get it via that route that involves a Chinese airline maybe we need to look at you know developing that relationship with the other country and things so I'm sure clever business people are doing clever things but I, I I did ask the question and I was reassured although it did make me think oh yeah these these supply chains they are potentially fragile aren't they so I'm uh, I, I think it's it's good that these companies are looking into these things making sure we're self-sufficient and all that stuff yeah, that's lots of moving mm. parts. Definitely above our yeah. pay grade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're, not, we're not here to solve that, thankfully. But uh, we can, but trust, it's okay. You can trust and rely. Just, uh, you know, make sure you've got a few. Yeah. Yeah. So you went to a regular school? Yes. Did you homeschool yeah, at all? Or you just were able to no. go to regular school all throughout? Yeah, my parents couldn't wait to get rid of me. So no, I was never homeschool was never never a thing. It was always <laughs> regular school, and yeah, and we had a school nurse and all that sort of thing, which is very helpful to know. So I could go and use the special lavatory that other children couldn't. But of course, then that came with its own issues of like suddenly you're singled out for being the different guy. Why why do you get that treatment or that sort of thing? So there's all that stuff. But I mean, in hindsight, I look back. You know, I was picked on by a few people. But I look back though and go, actually, if it, if I weren't picked on from a bladder, I was a guy with red hair and glasses. They'd have found something else, you know. So, and I see other other people I knew at school who, you know, 
the, the, there's always it, it's a jungle isn't it you get through all that stuff and it was mostly fun I've got good friends from my school days who I'm still good friends with and in fact many some of them know about my bladder stuff but some of them I've known for 30 years and only recently found out one or two had absolutely no idea that I had anything wrong with the bladder and I thought we must have been to the pub together several hundred or thousand times and you've not even noticed that I always spend five to ten minutes in the in the in the toilets but yeah they're not being paying attention clearly but uh, you know I, I don't shout about it a lot but at the same time i've definitely mentioned it a few times so you know what can i say yeah you don't necessarily hide it from anyone mm. as well as you don't necessarily yeah. talk about it well it's that yeah exactly and in fact well like my, my job is I'm a, I'm a stand-up comedian and i did a tour a few years ago i've been doing it for 20 years now and i talk a bit about it on stage but not not about the catheterizing as much as the fact that well i've not got a belly button for example so i talk about my no belly button no navel tummy button whatever you want to call it and i've used that as a talking point at, at a few stand-up shows and things and that's been kind of fun and having a little routine about that so i did a whole show a few years ago called navelless gazing all about my bladder stuff but I found what was interesting at that is I started I thought I'm going to out myself you know as, as a stand-up comedian you do Edinburgh Festival or these other shows and you want an angle and it's quite common at the minute to have an angle which is you know people talk about mental health or, or new angles on uh, you know wider stories that aren't just jokes so I thought you know what I'm going to out myself as a catheter user I'm going to use this show to put a flag in the ground and sort of reclaim re you know this stuff uh, and say this is I'm I'm here as a catheter user it's a hidden disability and i'm proud to say this is me and it was a mixed response i think it's fair to say it really felt like the audience weren't completely ready for it i had some people on the way out thanking me saying who were in healthcare or saying oh my my uncle has a bladder cancer or my aunt has urological issues or whatever or my cousin has a stoma great you're talking about these things get it out there do this more but i had another few people on the way out who would just go oh that was a bit much the, the catheter thing was oh i didn't i couldn't quite that was a little much for me and you think it's odd that i've heard stand-up comedians for the last 20 years do the most outrageous material that's just there to shock and audiences then don't walk out saying oh that was too much you know they hear the most crazy x-rated jokes and just walk out and go oh well shrug it off it's stand-up comedy but as soon as you mention putting a catheter inside you to urinate you know suddenly it's like that's a little that's that goes over the line surely and i think sometimes you look at the audience and think oh come on you know at least that's true you know at least that's part of my bio biographical and, and we're doing a good thing i think you've got to shout about the you know if you can talk about it does feel like it's the last taboo in in some areas you know that other healthcare issues and i've seen some great stand-up comedy shows talking about you know, coming through cancer and, and, and heart problems and mental health and depression and suicide, all these sorts of things. But yeah, bladder though, it's tricky, isn't it? Tricky to talk about it in a way that society's ready for yet. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just makes some people just uncomfortable. Mm, yeah. And it's just part of how your body works. It shouldn't be uncomfortable to talk about. We all do it, don't we? It's just how you do it, really. So, you know, but that's why I'm, you know, as I said, I'm really, it's great that you're doing this podcast because, I, yeah, we. I think sometimes you've got to, maybe you have to make people uncomfortable a bit to sort of be able to talk about these things. Because we, we, we know by now, I think, that, that not 
talking about things is not healthy really it doesn't, it doesn't make it any better or make it go no. away <laughs> no it doesn't help but it just makes people you know retreat and 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 hide away and and get through things on their own which is not good so i think we are hopefully realizing as a society that it's better to talk about things than not so you know gotta keep doing it yeah yeah so what are you still dealing with today you say you go once a year now still for checkups and things like that or yeah once a year and that's it really i go back and i have a kidney scan on both sides of the kidney and the bladder they just check that i'm emptying the voiding the bladder okay they seem to be happy with that last few years i've had sort of the occasional twinges in kidneys and things and and keep sort of asking the question like oh is that okay that little twinge there if i'm really full or don't empty in time that sort of thing and, and the scans come through fine so i think there's you know just that to keep an eye on you know i suppose and you know as you get older which i sort of now feel every passing day that i am it's things about prostate i suppose and it's about yeah checking for cancers and things like that so i don't no, I'm not worried about, I don't have anxiety particularly about those things. I'm glad that I have my opportunity once a year to go in for a checkup and they have a chance to to just do the scans and tests and things. So I, I, I trust in the healthcare system and trust that the, the doctors know what they're doing and are looking for these sorts of things. And otherwise I just sort of generally get on with life, work hard, you know, enjoy time with the, you know, bit of travel and where, where, where possible things like that and just just yeah let the bladder stuff happen when the bladder stuff happens you know that's amazing so you're pretty much just living life trying to but i'm well aware I, i've you know when i've had the health stuff in the past you know i've i mean it's not just bladder as well i've had I've had I've got I had two corneal transplants, so I'm wearing someone else's corneas right now. As in, you know, in terms of organ donation, I'm a advocate for that because I've benefited from that. You know, I'm, I can see better because of someone's gift of that. So I'm well aware that you know you're only ever you know you don't know what's around the corner, you don't know what the next health thing is. So I'm grateful when things are going great, and I'm ready to deal with stuff when it's not. I suppose. I suppose that's it. I'm philosophical about it. I'm not sort of coasting along, fingers and ears going, la, 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 everything's fine. Aren't I lucky? Aren't, isn't it all going well? I am lucky, but I'm well aware that we all have little turns, you know, so we'll cross that bridge when it happens, I suppose. Yeah. That's a nice little balance that you have right now then. Mm. Trying, yeah, trying. But life, it feels busy at the minute. I think also because with the stand-up comedy, I lost a lot of my work in the pandemic and that's starting to come back now. I do a lot of writing as well, a lot of stuff with the BBC and it's it's a busy time work-wise. I'm making it busy by grabbing lots of work when I can because I know it's a freelance issue that suddenly the work goes again. So I'm kind of a busy freelancer there. My kids are nine and 11, so they're sort of uh, the great age, you know, that we've gone through those early years when it's all a bit mad and teenage years around the corner. So we're sort of treasuring that sort of the time we we uh, you know have all together at the minute we just had a holiday for the first time we've just been away on vacation i should say for the first time in in three years um because of the of the pandemic so it was good to travel again and all those yeah just just making it all work making life work where possible you know that's great and i'm i'm curious since you mentioned you had that one show that you brought in you know catheter using mm. have you found any other places with writing and in just any type of freelance work that you do where you can bring in your medical experiences and good question actually yeah i well apart from i've done a couple of things for like catheter companies or pharmaceutical things where but that's slightly different that's sort of a more of 
corporate private event for their you know pharmaceutical launches or whatever but in terms of the mainstream stuff i am still sort of it's not my primary thing at the minute but i have in the past and i would love to again pitch and write you know i I do sitcom writing mainly i suppose and comedy writing generally and i've pitched a few sitcoms i pitched loads of sitcoms but what what i keep coming back to is some sort of medical sitcom about urology about urological ward about bladder conditions i've done i've tried one steer which was about about a hospital about urological place and was told oh no it's a bit icky (sighs) fine uh not that again i tried a different idea which was a bit more of a less of a sitcom more of a comedy drama i suppose or a dramedy about a guy who's basically got the same condition you know and and a hidden urological condition i didn't need i don't think i was specific in the in the pitch but i just wanted to do a like basically a a rom-com romantic comedy about a guy who's got a hidden bladder condition and those issues about when you tell uh you know your romantic partner or the issues that can hold you back or your your family know about it your friends don't fully because i think there are funny moments in that i think you can laugh with it without laughing at it and all of those sorts of things help you get through it i I suppose in a way so one day i i mean to sort of sit down and just write that script uh, write a, whether it's a film script or a TV show and just try and pitch that around. For now, I've tried it pitching just a couple of A4 pages and to no avail yet. But it would be nice to get something out there in the mainstream along those lines, especially because certainly in Britain at the minute, the BBC does seem to be eager for those I- topics on mental health and, you know, just stories that show that we're not all all right, you know. So it'd be nice to get that going if I could. Yeah, I think they would be surprised with how many viewers they would actually be reaching. I think there's a large community of us that would love to see something like that, that we can relate to. Yeah, I was seeing only today on BBC News, Breakfast News on the BBC, they had a story about a seven-year-old girl who's got a stoma and and she's got a teddy bear with the stoma as well and and she wants she's only seven but she wants to be an advocate for hey we should talk about these things and of course she's seven that will change i'm sure but and a few weeks ago they had a a sports sportswoman as well who also has a stoma and goes to these things so there's a lot more of that and it's on i've seen it more on the news little features on the news and things and the occasional longer form documentary i've not seen it yet in a sort of entertainment capacity as as in a drama or a comedy. I think the nearest I remember, the only one I can remember was, have you seen The Green Mile, the Tom Hanks, Stephen King film? Because in that, Tom Hanks has a bladder condition, I think. Not not an ongoing one, not a congenital one or a, a lifelong thing, but I think he has cystitis or something. And then he's healed by the prisoner who puts his hands near him and suddenly his you know, bladder clears up. And I remember watching that in the cinema going, ah, there, we're on screen. <laughs> Finally, bladder's going to mention, you know, so... That's nice. More of that, please. Yeah, well, if you pitch something and it gets picked up, definitely let us know. I'll Absolutely. talk about it on the show. and Let's make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, too right. Well, there are, there's a surprising number. Didn't they do this this survey? I think you've mentioned it before. I think Kirstine mentioned it on her episode. That There's this study they did about people who, who have this condition, bladder extrophy and bladder conditions, as a child. And something like something stupid, like a third of them go into entertainment or something like that. It's like a third go into healthcare, a third... I mean, the, 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 these figures are gross, exaggerated, I'm sure. But a really big chunk 
go into entertainment. And I know with extra fee, I know, I mean, there aren't, I know, you know, what is it, one in a hundred thousand births or something. I, I could probably list 80 people that I know with extra fee if I really thought about it. But of those, I know two comedians, a cartoonist, a professional clown, another writer so it's just there are people who just want to just cheer people up you get a condition like this you're in hospital as a child and you think i'm going to going to go into healthcare and heal people or i just want to cheer people up you know and, and i think also essentially do a job you love if you have those hospital run-ins early on rather than necessarily have a job you don't enjoy you know think well let's just enjoy ourselves and and hopefully cheer others along as they go but so maybe you know there's if there's a few of us who are wanting to do this sort of entertainment style job we could club together we could maybe write and create that this worldwide global transatlantic smash hits show of that could be really cool this would be nice the whole like staff writers are all bladder extra people that would be really amazing wouldn't that be amazing yes definitely i'm all for it Well, I think that was mostly it for all of my questions. Do you have any anything else that you want to add or any fun stories you want to share or anything? I had nothing nothing else. It's funny, I had nothing else to add, but since you had fun stories, I'm thinking fun stories. Well, there is... There is, there is one that I was thinking about. Basically, I, 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 as I've gone on, I've become less... As a child, as a young adult, I was worried all the time about, oh, what what will people think? I suppose partly, maybe it's having kids. Once you walk around, you know, a supermarket with babies sick on your shoulder, I no longer longer care anymore, you know. And in fact, I want now to be found out. I leave catheters on tables. Like, I hope this starts a conversation, you know. I remember going to an airport once and seeing in the bin of the gent's toilet, there was a catheter just left there in the bin. I thought... That brilliant someone who's just been in here is a catheter user there's more of us out there wonderful and but that said i worked on a tv show and I've, i don't think i've talked about this publicly so i don't know if i should but i, I we're here now i worked <laughs> on i worked on top gear do you know the the motor show and i only worked on one series of it it was when the regular hosts left because jeremy clarkson the regular host punched a producer because he didn't get a steak dinner and there's this that's all a true story so that's in the papers everyone can read that bit <laughs> But I knew one of the new hosts, Chris Evans. I knew him from radio. And he said, do you, do you want to come and write for Top Gear? So I went, yeah, of course I do. I'm not a mad car person, but I wanted the work. And it's a massive BBC show. So I got to work with, with Matt LeBlanc, who's Joey and Friends, you know. And he was one of the hosts. And I thought, this is brilliant. But we used to write the episodes, plan the show from Chris Evans's uh, house, you know. And he's a very successful broadcaster. And, uh, excuse me, bashing the microphone here. Very successful broadcaster. And very fancy house, and you go and work there, and and he'd come straight from his breakfast. He used to have this very big breakfast show, biggest breakfast show, biggest radio show, I think, in the country at the time. And we'd meet at his house. In fact, I think I had the key even. Meet at his house, but a bit nervous, thinking he's going to come straight from the radio show. We've got to plan the show, big TV show, millions of viewers, Joey from Friends, etc. And we all nervously then went to the loo. You know, me and the other producers, the other writers. And I remember coming back from the from the jet from the toilet at, at Chris's house, and I put my catheter because you can't put a catheter in a bin at someone else's house, let alone a celebrity's house. That's not the done thing. Take your catheters home with you, surely. Put it in my back pocket, and and then Chris arrived, and then Matt LeBlanc arrived. And we're all sitting around 
on the sofas. And I remember feeling my back pocket and suddenly realising that I had the packet. But I remember thinking, I can't feel the catheter. Where's that gone? And I'm looking across the floor going, oh, the toilet's over there. And I know I didn't leave it in the toilet. And I looked across the floor and I could see shining, shining on the on the very plush, very expensive carpet was my used catheter that had clearly fallen out of my pocket between in the rush between the toilet and the sofa and there's like 12 of us high-flying execs and Matt LeBlanc and Chris Evans planning the show and I still to this day have no idea if any of them noticed that there was a shimmering (laughs) on the floor a used catheter I made an excuse and went over and just you know get another cup of tea picked it up put it in the pocket and I, I like to think that I was discreet enough that no one noticed but I will always know that right next to Matt LeBlanc there was there on the floor a used catheter so there you go that's pretty great that's uh yeah that was one of those you know could i be any more embarrassed yes i could (laughs) but there you are (laughs) nice chandler (laughs) yeah there you go yeah wrong guy i know yeah exactly how are you doing that's what it would have been wouldn't it there you are yeah that's pretty funny weird i think we all have the sorry go ahead what do you get this thing you get if you embarrassing stories don't you that's what generally you know as long as you can then own it and go oh well you know on we go this is it you know the, the embarrassing stories will always come won't they when you're involved with bladder based issues oh yes i was just yeah gonna say essentially the same thing i'm sure we all have stories like that exactly i want to know yours now maybe oh, that's a whole no. different episode maybe you need to be interviewed yourself <laughs> yeah i want to kind of helped like a i guess it's a trend where it's the ask me anything type mm. thing yes so. yes that's what you need there you are. yeah i think yeah, i'll we'll do wait. that at some point we'll wait <laughs> we'll wait you gotta tease the listener by yes let them come back for that yeah, yeah well thank you for coming on i appreciate it so much no worries thank you for having me great to chat and wish you well in the podcast and all you're doing thank you and let me know if your tv show or movie ever gets picked up yeah one day we'll get there one day All right. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Paul. I did want to define one term for you all before the end here. Peritonitis is the inflammation of the peritoneum, which is a silk-like membrane that lines your inner abdominal wall and covers the organs within your abdomen. Now, there are two kinds of peritonitis. There's spontaneous bacterial peritonitis, and then there is secondary peritonitis that can be caused by a rupture of some kind, such as a bladder rupture in Paul's case. Peritonitis does require prompt medical attention and left untreated, it can lead to several different types of infection and sometimes life-threatening infections throughout the entire body. As always, the sources for this will be linked in the show notes as well. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts at. Also consider becoming a patron on patreon.com and maybe pick up a sticker to represent the show somewhere. And if you would like to share your story or know someone who would like to, I can be contacted through my website www.bodytalkwithbex.com or on social media. Thanks for listening.